Well, good morning. My name is Brian, and this morning we're going to continue our series on origins that we started back in the fall. We looked at Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, and the origin of everything. And then we looked at Genesis 1, verses 3 through 25, and considered the origin of life. And then we looked at Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31, and considered the origin of humanity. And today, we're going to look at Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, and consider the origin of Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath is a special day that shapes our calendar. And today is another special day that shapes our calendar. Today is Mother's Day. Today is a day where we celebrate mothers and motherhood. And so for all children out there, ages zero to let's say 52, let me speak for children uh, and say, moms, thank you. Thank you for changing diapers and for cleaning up vomit. Thank you for waking up in the middle of the night. Thank you for feeding us, nurturing us, loving us, caring for us, driving us everywhere. Thank you for all of the things that you do behind the scenes that go unnoticed and yet are absolutely essential for life. Thank you. It's a day that we celebrate mothers. But for some of you, this may also be a day of grief. Maybe you long to be a mother, but the Heavenly Father hasn't granted that gift just yet. Maybe you've lost an unborn child. Maybe some of you out there on Mother's Day feel the strain of familial relationships and the burden is pretty hard to bear. Some of you maybe have lost your moms in the last year or two, and there's a hole in the world. And some of you as mothers have lost children in this last year, and that's a grief that no one should ever have to bear. And if you're grieving this morning, Jesus wants to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks and hold you close. Whether you're grieving this morning or celebrating, today is a day that is set aside on our calendars. And it's marked, it's given a special meaning. That day shapes the liturgy of our lives. And that liturgy gives meaning to days and our days make up our lives. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Are you exhausted? We've got a lot going on at our house right now. Yesterday, our oldest graduated from college. This Saturday, our fourth oldest graduates from high school. My mom flew in from New Mexico to be with us for this week. Our third oldest returned home this week from her first year of college, which meant that our fifth oldest had to move from a room downstairs to upstairs. Meanwhile, we're putting our house on the market in Clinton because we're trying to move to Jackson. My wife is running a functional medicine healthcare clinic in Highland Village, and she's got two new employees starting Monday. We've got a lot going on. Can, can you relate, right? 
Sometimes it feels like the calendar is crowded, like the checklist goes on and on, like we're living at a breakneck pace and we need just a little bit more caffeine than usual, right? Sometimes I feel like Bilbo in The Lord of the Rings, who at one point turns to Gandalf, and he says, Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped across too much bread. Are you exhausted? Today, we're going to look at our passage under three headings. First of all, we're going to consider creation's pattern. Then we're going to look at exhaustion. And thirdly, we're going to look at rest. Creation's pattern, exhaustion, and rest. And here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Sabbath is etched into creation's calendar and is a rehearsal of our coming rest which delivers us from exhaustion. Let me say that again. Sabbath is etched in creation's calendar and is a rehearsal of our coming rest, which, is, which delivers us from exhaustion. Let's focus our attention then on Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. And by the way, this is an unfortunate chapter break in your text. Really, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is the conclusion of Genesis chapter 1 um, with all of the linguistic connections. But let's focus our attention here on Genesis 2, starting at verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence this morning to consider the Sabbath, I pray that you would convince us of our sin and misery, that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and that you would renew our wills by the power of your gospel through the work of your Holy Spirit and the mediation of your Son. I ask that you would forgive the one who teaches his sins, for they are many. May we see Jesus in him only. Amen. So first of all, this morning, let's consider together creation's pattern, creation's pattern. So today we're talking about the origin of Sabbath, and if we're talking about the origin of Sabbath, we need to begin with what is Sabbath? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith, written in 1646 by English and Scottish pastors in the English Reformation, articulate it this way. Can I get that first slide, Andre? As it is the law of nature that, in general, a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so, in his word, by a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day and seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture, is called the Lord's Day and is to be continued 
to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. That's the long version. The short version is the Sabbath is a day of worship and rest. It's a day of worship and rest. But did you notice that the word Sabbath isn't even in the text this morning? In fact, the first time that the word Sabbath appears in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 16. But notice that the words, that there are words that are repeated in the text. And by the way, here's a hermeneutical tip. When you see repeated words in a text, you might want to focus there. They're often key words. The word finished appears two times. Seventh day appears three times. Work that he had done appears three times. And rested appears two times. And it's that word rested in Hebrew, which is Shabbat, which means to stop or to cease. And it's translated here, rest. Have you ever wondered why God rests? Is God tired? Is he overwhelmed? Is he exhausted? He has a really busy week? No, God's omnipotent. You see, God doesn't rest because he needs to. He rests to set a pattern in the fabric of the universe. While the cement of creation is still wet, God carves his initials into the calendar. And as he rests, he sets aside the seventh day. He blesses the seventh day, and he makes it holy. He's already blessed the animals in 122, and he's blessed humanity in 128, but now he blesses a day. He, he blesses time, and he makes it holy. And the word holy means to set apart here. And this is the first time that the word holy is used in the Bible. And it's the only time that the word holy is used in the book of Genesis. God sets one day in seven apart, and he blesses it. And it's the pattern of creation. And I want you to think about it this morning from Adam and Eve's perspective. You see, they were created on day six, and day seven is a day of rest. In other words, this rest isn't earned. It's not like Adam and Eve had worked really hard for six days, and then they get rest. No, this rest is a gift. Rest comes first, and then work. You see, this rest is a gift, and it's a part of God's abundant provision for his people. In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, God provided a place for us. And in verses 3 through 25, God provided the foundations of life for us. And in verses 26 through 31, God provided royal dignity for us. And now, in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, as part of God's abundant provision, he provides rest for us. And this blessing, this gift, shows God's heart. It shows what he delights in. He creates humanity, and the very first thing he does is he says, I want to spend the day with you. 
I, I want to set apart this day for our fellowship, for our communion, for intimacy, for belonging. I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. I want to share the sunrise with you. I want to listen to the rustling leaves. I want to enjoy creation with you. I want to be with you, God says. And this desire, God's delight, is etched into the fabric of the universe. You know, it's not a coincidence that the seven-day week is the foundation of our universal calendar. It's the way the world works. Genesis 2 explains something that we find in the world. Moses is saying that this is the way God made the world, that the Sabbath is a creational pattern. Well, how do I know it's a creational pattern? Where do we find the Ten Commandments in Scripture? The first time they appear is Exodus chapter 20. We see them again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, it's already holy, but the fourth commandment is to keep it holy, right? And that appears in Exodus chapter 20 for the first time. But the word Sabbath actually appears in Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus chapter 16, God through Moses is giving instructions to the Israelites about the manna, this daily bread that falls from heaven that's their provision throughout their their wanderings in the wilderness. And he says, the bread's gonna fall from heaven and I want you to gather enough each day just for your daily bread, just so you have enough for that day. If you take more bread, it will spoil. It won't last into the next day, right? Just get enough for one day. But on the sixth day of the week, he says what? He says, I want you to gather enough for two days because I don't want you to collect any bread on the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath is being practiced in Exodus 16 before the commandment is given in Exodus chapter 20. Why? Because it's a creational pattern. It's a creational ordinance. Those created in the image of God are designed to imitate God. And God rested on the seventh day. We were designed to rest one day in seven One writer says, just as Eve was created so that man wouldn't have to live alone, the Sabbath was created so that man wouldn't have to live exhausted. The creational pattern. Then secondly, let's consider exhaustion. Exhaustion. Did you know that the two places where we find the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, give different reasons for remembering the Sabbath? In Exodus chapter 20, can I get that next slide, Andre? The reason that's given in Exodus chapter 20 echoes Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. For in six days, uh, the commandment says, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. But you get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and there's a different reason given, and it's this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Thanks, Andre. You see, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They worked from sunrise to sunset seven days a week, 365 days a year. They never got a day off. There was no spring break, no summer break, no President's Day, no snow days, no electricity doesn't work at the school, so we're canceling school days, right? There were none of those days off, right? They worked 365 days a year, and that is not what we were made for. On May 4th, I was asked to uh, do chapel at a Christian uh, middle school, and I was talking about Sabbath. And, uh, and so I, I brought some props um, that day, and I said to those middle schoolers, um, I, I brought a book, and that book represented, you know, study for them, right, their work, um, work for us adults. I, I brought a basketball to represent recreation, um, right? And then I brought a lightsaber. Uh, it was May 4th, after all, um, right? But we'll use a phone here today uh, to represent entertainment, right? And, and I said uh, to them, I, I said to these middle schoolers, I said, how many of you think you can lift these objects? And they're like, ooh, 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 I can lift those objects. And I said, okay. Now, how many of you think you can hold these objects? I said, holding is different than lifting. And they're like, ooh, ooh. And so I brought up three volunteers. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold these objects. And so the first guy I had holding the book, and I said, but here's the thing. You need to hold it at a 90 degree angle away from your body, okay? And so the first guy is holding the book. The second guy is holding the basketball. And the third guy is holding the lightsaber, right? Work, recreation, entertainment. And, uh, and I said, I want to see how long you can last. You know who caved first? The guy with the book caved first. He, he lasted about three minutes. The guy with the basketball lasted about four. Try this at home today. The guy with the basketball lasted about four minutes. And then the guy with the lightsaber lasted about five minutes, right? But, but here, here was my point, right? Holding things, even good things, even things that you love, eventually will become exhausting. Eventually, you will have to set them down. You can't hold them forever. And oh, brothers and sisters, we are holding on to too many things. And the burden of it becomes exhausting. And, and the weight is more than we can bear. We weren't made for this. We have to set it down. You ever wonder why God made our bodies so that we have to sleep eight hours out of every 24? It's this odd thing, right? Eight hours out of every 24 hours, you have to lay down, close your eyes, and do absolutely nothing. You see, it's a daily declaration that we don't run the world, that we can't run the world. It's a daily declaration that we're not omnipotent, that we are dependent 
creatures. And the Sabbath is similar. It's a weekly invitation to lay our burdens down, to stop holding on, to stop trying to hold everything together, to stop pressing ahead, to find rest in the sovereignty of another. You see, that's what you were made for. And it's etched into the fabric of the universe. But we don't enter into this rest, do we? We keep pressing ahead, holding things up, and we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed, frazzled, worn out, and it's breaking us. Our society is cascading towards burnout. Alan Noble, in his book, You Are Not Your Own, says that one survey found in the past year that 43% of undergraduates felt so depressed that it was difficult to function. 43% of undergraduates. And 64% of undergraduates said that they felt overwhelming anxiety. Anne Helen Peterson calls millennials the burnout generation. By the way, if you're 27 to 42, you are a millennial. And she says that burnout is their contemporary condition. And Alan Noble expands on that and says it's not just millennials, that older people and younger people both share many of these experiences. They share the pressure to work longer hours, to develop a social media brand and constantly improve their lifestyle, all while being inundated with warnings about debts and injustices and crime and health. We've got side hustles on top of our side hustles. He goes on to say, a life of unending and unrewarded competition and self-improvement through increased efficiency and optimization is overwhelming, depressing, and unsatisfying. This is not what we were made for, and we know it. But rather than confront the problem, we blame ourselves and work harder. Have you ever been to the zoo? And at the zoo, did they have a lion exhibit? And if you, st- if you stayed by the lion exhibit long enough and he wasn't feeling terribly lazy that day, eventually you might see the lion, what? Pacing back and forth in his cage, right? And there's likely a well-worn track outside of his cage. Do you know that there's a technical term for that? It's called zucosis. Zucosis. Zucosis is the repetitive invariant behavior pattern with no obvious goal or function which occur in captive animals. And Alan Noble says, despite the best efforts of zookeepers, right, to recreate the animal's natural environment, a zoo is still a zoo. The lion is still caged. People still point and stare at it and take photographs all day long. The lion smells churros and hot dogs cooking. He hears cries of animals from other continents. He sleeps in what smells like an artificial cage. He eats something that's very appropriate for him. It's scientifically developed for him, but it doesn't satisfy his desire to hunt, right? And with the noise of people and the sight of concrete and fences and bars, the lion feels both exposed and alone. He's anxious. And where does his anxiety come from? From his environment, 
from his environment. He doesn't belong in that cage. And oh, brothers and sisters, how we are like the lion. The breakneck pace at which we live is the cage. And like the lion, we are living in an artificial environment, always going, never stopping. And it's not what we were made for. It's inhumane. It's against our design. And so we, like the lion, pace. Or maybe I should say, scroll, right? It's our own form of zucosis. In Greek mythology, um, Sisyphus is caught trying to cheat death. He's caught trying to cheat death. And Zeus punishes Sisyphus for trying to cheat death. And his, his punishment is that he needs to roll a boulder up this mountain every day. And so Sisyphus begins, and he begins rolling the boulder up the mountain, but every time he gets close, Zeus has the boulder roll back down, and Sisyphus has to start over again, and he keeps rolling the boulder up the hill, and it keeps, just before he gets to the top, it keeps coming back down, right? And that's what work is like without rest. Tim Keller says, let's modernize that. He says it's like writing code all day or writing your paper or your thesis all day. And then just as you're about to save it at the very end of the day, it crashes. And you have to start, right? No. And and you have to start all over again, right? It's, It's work without rest is like that. It's inhumane. It goes against our design. It goes against the fabric of the universe, and it's exhausting. Thirdly then, rest, rest. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees had their own interpretation of the Sabbath. The Pharisees had a gotcha God, right? The big policeman in the sky who's just waiting for you to cross the line. And so they were obsessed with rules And so they come to the fourth commandment and they go, how do we help people remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? I know, rules, right? Let's tell people what they can't do. And so they came up with 39 primary kinds of labor that were not allowed on the Sabbath day. And the first 11 uh, had to do with the production and preparation of bread. It was uh, was sowing, sorry, Wow, that jumped a lot of pages. It was sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, and baking, all things you can't do on the Sabbath. And then they said, well, here, the next, they really didn't want you to make bread on the Sabbath, apparently. Uh, The next 12 uh, had to do with the preparation of clothing. And then the next seven had to do with preparing a carcass of deer for food. Apparently, they didn't like hunting. Uh, either. And, and on and on, right? The, the list had to do with writing and building and fires. And they defined a Sabbath day journey. A Sabbath day journey, you couldn't walk more than two-thirds of a mile on the Sabbath. And so when we come to our New Testament reading this morning in Mark 2, and the disciples are plucking heads of grain The Pharisees are like, gotcha! This is one of our categories. This is one of the first categories that we have. This is unlawful. And Jesus is like, dude, 
It's not there in the English, but it's there in the written. Right. Um, dude, you've got it all wrong. And he goes, do you remember that time when David was hungry, right? And he ate the temple bread? It, you're missing the point, Jesus is saying. And some of us are like the Pharisees, aren't we? Some of us were hoping that I was going to clarify today what we could do and what we couldn't do on the Sabbath. We want rules because they're simpler and easier. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. He goes on to say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying the Sabbath isn't about rules to keep. It's not another burden. It's not more work. The Sabbath is designed to give rest. It's a provision. It's a gift. It's a blessing. It's not about rules, Jesus is saying. It's about relationship. It's about communion. It's about fellowship. It's about intimacy. And then Jesus goes on and he says this. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Do you know what it means that Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath? Yes, it means that he's sovereign over the Sabbath and he can do what he wants to on the Sabbath, but it means more than that. You see, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because Sabbath is about relationship and communion and fellowship and intimacy. And it's about relationship and communion and fellowship and intimacy with him, with him. Sabbath is a weekly invitation to lay our burdens down, to stop holding on, to stop trying to hold everything together, to stop pressing ahead and to find rest in the sovereignty of another, to find rest in Jesus. As Augustine says in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. And by the way, this rest, this Sabbath, is a rhythm and a routine. It's a liturgy to shape our lives. And it's kind of like working out. It's cumulative, right? If you, day one, you decide, hey, I'm going to start a new regimen, I'm going to work out. Day one, you go work out, right? And then you're done working out and you look in the mirror, nothing, right? And man, that's kind of frustrating. So day two, you work out a little bit more, you look in the mirror, man, nothing. Day three, you, you go, man, okay, I'm really gonna hit it today. Nine hours, you're working out in the gym, you know? You're, you're going full bore. And you look in the mirror, what? Nothing, right? So, so we quit, right? But if you commit to this new rhythm, this new routine, and you work out every day for 20 minutes, and you can screw it up, right? You can have chocolate cake, right? You might miss a day or two, but if you stick with it over time, what happens? Over time, you get in shape. And the Sabbath is the same way. If you look in the mirror uh, a couple of times, right? You practice it, you look in the mirror, nothing, right? But if you commit to this new rhythm, this new routine, if this becomes a liturgy of our lives over time, you begin to get in shape and you begin to taste rest. You see, as we practice this liturgy, it's shaping our souls. It's whispering to our hearts the promise 
of our final rest. And the author of Hebrews talks about a final Sabbath rest. At the end of chapter 3, Israel is in the wilderness in Hebrews. It's talking about Israel in the wilderness. And the first generation is disobedient. It says they did not enter God's rest. And in this context, rest is the promised land. But then we learn that that rest, the promised land, wasn't the ultimate rest. It was just a sign, just a foreshadowing, because there's a rest after Joshua leads his people into the promised land. So in Hebrews 4, verse 9 and 10, can I get that, Andre? The author of Hebrews writes this, So then, there remains, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Thanks, Andre. You see, the author of Hebrews is talking about a final rest, an ultimate rest, an eternal rest. He's talking about the rest that we find in Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And as we enter that rest, that is the only place, the only place that we can find rest from all our works. True rest, deep rest, lasting rest. And you see, each week is a rehearsal. It's a rhythm. It's the beat that drives time forward, showing you where all time will end. You see, as weeks come and weeks go, the rhythm of the week is whispering to our souls that rest, that rest that you long for, that rest that you've waited for all of your life, that rest is coming. It's coming. You see, each Sabbath is a promise It's a sign of our future rest. It's an invitation to lay our burdens down, to stop holding on, to stop trying to hold everything together, to stop pressing ahead, and to find rest in the sovereignty of another. Are you overwhelmed? Are you tired? Are you frazzled? Are you drained? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? The Lord of the Sabbath comes to you this morning and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the Sabbath is etched into creation's calendar and is a rehearsal of our coming rest, which delivers us from exhaustion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we long for that final rest, for the rest that we can enter and have rest from all of our works. Now, in this season, in this life, would you grant us rest? Would you, as we practice the Sabbath, would you help us to enter into that rest 
with our eyes towards the promise of that rest that one day will be ours in the new heavens and the new earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.